0: (laughs) i'm glad to be with you we this morning are wrapping up the series that we've called glory through anguish Um, again we started this at easter time Uh, easter is a a celebration of the resurrection of jesus christ the day that we pause and remember that jesus um, came back from the dead and fulfilled a significant number of things that he promised were going, to happen, were going to happen happened when he came back to life. And so we've started with that celebration on Easter morning. And we also began to ask the question that morning, how did we get here? This, this moment of glory, this moment of resurrection, of, of victory, of hope fulfilled. And we've seen as we've taken the Passion Week in reverse, as we've put it in Rewind, and we started with the resurrection and went to his crucifixion and then his undressed trial and his betrayal, we've seen that, that moment of glory, that, that point of victory came through anguish. And that following Jesus and, and, and doing the right thing and being connected with God does not mean we're delivered from all pain and suffering this side of heaven. Um, And we saw last week how, on the night that he was betrayed, he took this this Passover meal that had been a regular celebration, and he said, yeah, all of this I want you to do in remembrance of me, and and, and showed that the way forward is going to be not a way of of strong leadership and domineering leadership, but actually is a way of service. And all of our past, all of our present, all of our future hinges. It all depends upon Jesus' resurrection. If that didn't happen, then we're wasting our time. We're wasting our money. Uh, We're wasting our breath when we pray. Um, If Jesus' resurrection is is a falsehood, um, then we're pretty sad to have devoted our lives to it. But... We've continued to journey through this. We've continued to declare together that Jesus' resurrection is a reality, historical truth, and we're willing to stake our lives on it. Um, We're willing to go through life's anguish, the hope of glory that is promised to us by the resurrection. So... This morning, we're going to fast forward even more um, out of the, the, we've been really looking at one night over the past five weeks. And now we're going to fast forward to the, the week, the beginning of the week when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Um, typically, this is actually one of the things that I think is fun about doing series like this. We've done a couple of them. Um, where we're looking at passages that are familiar to us on traditional days. When we look at them on a different day, maybe it'll give us a new meaning. So typically, we would look at a passage like this on what we call Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter. Um, But now that we've had a look at all of this stuff, the... Uh, resurrection, the crucifixion, his trial, his betrayal, the Last Supper. Now we look at his triumphal entry, and maybe we'll get a different perspective on what it was that he was doing and what it means for us. So um, that's, that's what I'm hoping we'll accomplish together this morning. I'd ask you as we begin, if you'd, if you'd bow your hearts and bow your heads with me and, and pray together with me the disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Navigate to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to begin in verse 28 kind of towards the middle of that chapter. If you're using the blue Bibles uh, here in the chairs in front of you, it's on 1097. And it's right at the top of the page. It doesn't normally happen, but we're starting right there at the front of the page. Luke 19, beginning in 28. And Jesus has spent the first half of Luke 19 teaching um, while he's on the road. He's traveling to Jerusalem and teaching. And verse 28 says, When he had said these things, Jesus, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage, and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, so those who were sent went away And found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. We'll pause there. It's kind of an interesting story. Um, Jesus is going, he's, he's coming to town, and uh, as he gets to a city, like on the outside, so the, Jerusalem is the main city, and then there were smaller cities kind of around different um, um, I don't know. I want to say townships, but that's not, that's not actually the word. They're different villages that kind of gather around the city. You know how, like, when you go to Atlanta, there's a whole bunch of development and a whole bunch of, like, stuff before you actually get into Atlanta proper? Like, Jerusalem was kind of the same way. As he's coming into this outer suburb of Jerusalem, he says, Hey, go in there. You're going to see a donkey, a colt, tied up, um, Untie the donkey and bring it to me. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, just tell them that the Lord has need of it. Uh, okay, Jesus, I guess we'll just go steal this donkey. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I get, we'll return it, I suppose. So they, they go in. It doesn't say who it was that, that went out of the group of the twelve. But they go and they find it just like Jesus said. There's a donkey tied up and they untie it. And, you know, they give the password. The Lord has need of it. And they apparently get to walk away with a free donkey and um, bring it to Jesus. And they throw their cloaks on the donkey. And as Jesus gets up on the donkey, he starts riding in and people gather around him. It says not just the twelve. What does it say? Um, the whole multitude, in verse 37, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. So it seems like it wasn't just Jesus and the twelve traveling. Like As he was walking and as he was teaching, he had accumulated other a multitude of disciples that were walking with him. And as they see him riding on a donkey, going into Jerusalem, the, the capital city of the nation of Israel, they just get really excited. And I'm, I'm not as excited. Are you? Like, it's a donkey. Like, it'd be one thing if it was like a white stallion and a chariot of gold, right? Like, that'd be something I could get excited about. But he said, it's a donkey. I'd also like to point out, if you're familiar with this story, like, you should notice that Luke doesn't mention some of the things that we want for him to mention, he doesn't talk about palm branches at all. The thing that they lay out is actually their coats. They're not laying out palm branches. They're not waving palm branches. They're just laying out their coats as they go along, and 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 they're not saying the word that I love out of this story is Hosanna. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means God save us, and that's not what they're shouting. They're they're shouting something um, that is a little bit more expressive than just the single word. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It just makes makes me think that these folks knew something that I didn't know. That when I think of a king, the picture that comes into my head maybe isn't the picture that came into their head. I think of a king in a golden chariot with with white horses. Um, they thought of a king on a donkey? All right, like that's unusual. But it actually is pretty common of people in the ancient Near East. Like the way that the kings portrayed themselves, not necessarily the way that they lived, but the way they liked to talk about themselves was very humble. Um, so they would say, you know, I'm, I'm a servant of the people. I'm a shepherd of the people. Oftentimes they would call themselves shepherds. But um, even, even Pharaoh, the, the greatest king over the greatest empire at that point, like even Pharaoh called himself a shepherd of the people. But if you notice, if you are familiar with the text uh, of Exodus, Pharaoh didn't want the Israelites because they were actual shepherds. He said, you guys can go hang out in Goshen because I don't want you near my capital city. You guys stink. So he would refer to himself as a shepherd, as like a metaphor, like I am shepherding the people, but when it actually came time to actual shepherding with like actual stinky sheep, he kept them as far away from the palace as possible. So they would like to talk about themselves. Kings would talk about themselves as though they were humble, but their attitude actually didn't match up with the things that they were saying. They were building golden palaces instead of sleeping in the fields. But we have in Zechariah a prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 9 that says, Behold Jerusalem, your king is coming seated on a colt, riding on a donkey. Like, rejoice, O Zion, which is a name for the, the mountain that Jerusalem was, was built on. It's like, rejoice. Like, let the land rejoice. Let the city rejoice. Your king is coming s- humble, actually humble, and actually sitting on a donkey. And so they see an actual humble prophet riding into Jerusalem on an actual donkey. And they go, Oh! This guy isn't just talking the talk, he's walking the walk. And so when they see this happening, they say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They realize... Jesus is who he says he is. If we go back all the way into the Christmas narratives, all of the prophecies that were spoken about, Jesus were king prophecies. He's the king of Israel born at this time. And here's the only other time where we get to see Jesus talking about as a king is as he's riding on a donkey going into Jerusalem. He said, this is the guy. This is our king. This is the one who we want to rule over us. He's more than just the king of the twelve. He's more than just the king of the multitude of disciples. He is the rightful king of Jerusalem, of the nation of Israel. But not everybody who's watching this happen is on board with that. Not everybody's rolling out the carpet. They're not taking off their coats and laying it out before them so that the donkey can walk um, not on the dirt. There's some people that say, uh, Jesus, you... You're going to let them talk about you like that? You're going, to, you're going to let them say that? And Jesus turns to him and says, <clears throat> if these were silent, if, if, all, if all the people here stopped, the rocks would cry out. Not only are they right in proclaiming me as the king of the disciples, and the, of the apostles, of the king of Jerusalem, of the king of Israel, not only are they correct in their proclamation that as I'm riding in here, I'm declaring my kingship, they're also, they're also missing it a little bit because if they stopped singing, the stones would pick up the anthem because I'm not just the king of Israel, I'm the king of all creation. The rocks will cry out if these are silent. So, mind your manners. How do we respond when we see glimpses of Jesus as king? We're familiar um, with kind of the idea. Like we know Jesus is the Lord. Um, But we're also really acutely familiar with the way that sin works in the world and that this is not a perfect world. And so... There's a tension in us that we can see glimpses of Jesus as king, but then we also wrestle with. That doesn't, that's not how it matches up in reality. I want to submit myself and live, live with Jesus as my king, but, but I've got a flesh to wrestle down to make that happen. How do we respond when we get glimpses of Jesus as king? do our hearts rejoice and do we get excited do we, do we say blessed is the king do we give him praise and glory and honor and say, yeah you have your rightful place do we say peace on earth and peace in heaven or do we say should you really be on that throne <laughs> Like, do you really know what you're doing Jesus I'm not so sure All that meekness thing, like, I don't know, I feel like I should just get in their face. You tell me to turn the other cheek, but man, I've got a really great comeback, like, right, I'm ready to do it. Too often I fight to hold on to the throne of my life. And it just leads me to ask, how do we respond when we see glimpses of Jesus as King? we're here at the beginning of the Passion Week, um, which is just the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And it starts with a parade. It starts with glory. We know, because of what we studied, that he's, he's pointed towards anguish, like the road is gonna be hard, but he's here at a moment of glory. And we know that ultimately he'll get to another moment of glory, but there's, there's that road of anguish and agony that, that's in between there. Our present experience is not an indicator of our future circumstance. Whatever we're facing now is not what we will face forever. Of all of the um, faith over fear signs that have popped up over town, the only one that I really like is, this too shall pass. Our present experience is not an indicator of our future circumstances. If things are going great, it's probably not always going to go great. If things are going terribly, it will probably get better. And Jesus, walking into Jerusalem, is celebrated with a parade and acknowledged as the rightful king but the proclamation of him as king at the end of the week will be as he's crucified to a cross and is supposed to be hung up as a joke so how do like how do we respond i think we've got to celebrate his glory I think we've got to take our eyes off of our circumstances. We've got to take our eyes off of the trials that we face. We've got to take our eyes off of this, and we've got to turn them to Jesus. We've got to celebrate Jesus' glory, because celebrating Jesus' glory paves the way to endure all of life's anguish. That's part of the reason why our Sunday morning is important. We stop... The normal stuff. And we sing together, celebrating Jesus' glory. And I don't think I'm alone in, it rewires my thinking. (laughs) I approach Monday differently, having been together with you and having met Jesus together with you. Celebrating his glory. Celebrating Jesus' glory paves the way to endure all of life's anguish. So there we see Christ as the king. Let's look at how he approaches Jerusalem in verse 41. Luke 19, 41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. We'll pause there. As Jesus comes into the city, he weeps. He's broken over the sin that he sees them captive to. And his heart is for peace. Peace. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. You could have had peace. That was what I wanted for you. But the day is coming where you're going to be destroyed. The whole city is going to be torn down and everybody that's in it is going to die. Happened probably 40 years after... He said these words, 70 A.D., and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold, saying, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but but you've made it a den of robbers. So people were traveling far and wide into Jerusalem for the Passover. Um, many of them were bringing livestock. Some of them were traveling so far they didn't want to bring livestock with them. And so people would realize this is an economic opportunity, supply and demand. There's a demand. Let me see if I can get a supply. And so they were they would bring in livestock into the city and make sure that people could buy livestock. At a marked up rate, you know, we got to make a profit here, we got to make it worth our while. And and Jesus comes in and says, what are you doing making a profit on people who are coming to worship me? My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is a holy place and you've made it a den of robbers? This isn't a place for you to make a couple bucks. That's not what this is about. He cleanses the temple complex. He kicks those guys out. one of the jobs of the priests in the Old Testament wasn't just to offer sacrifices. It was also to keep um, unclean animals out of the temple. So pest control was part of their job description. And Jesus walks into the temple and sees these metaphorical roaches taking advantage of people who would come to worship him. And he says, it's time to stop this. He cleanses the temple. There's anger here. There's anger at seeing things done the wrong way and people taking advantage of others who would come to God. But I'm struck. That his heart there in 42 is for peace. I wanted peace for you. A godless community. A community with every opportunity to follow God the right way. Like, God has had a special relationship with the people of Jerusalem and the people of Israel, and they've just rejected him outright and said, No, 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 we're going to put our hope in how much we can make, or we're going to put our hope in how much security we have, instead of turning to their rightful king and saying, We put our hope only in you. And, and Jesus comes to this, this faithless community and says, I, I, I wanted peace for you. Do we pursue the peace of godless communities? Do we look at people who are far from God and go, Oh, y'all are really jacked up. Or does our heart break? We say, God wants peace for you. God wants to extend his life to you. and pursuing peace in those communities it doesn't always mean like uh, it doesn't always mean carrying around olive branches and just passing out flowers to people Sometimes it means we have to tear down the things that they've gotten wrong, but it's not out of anger. It's not a, 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 like, let me be holier than now. It's not a, like, you guys, have, you got, let me teach you how this is supposed to be. It's a, God wants peace for you, and this is standing in the way. You're distracted by what you're making so that you're not seeing the worship that is supposed to be taking place. Do we pursue the peace of godless communities? So Jesus fills our ordinary lives with extraordinary meaning by humbly serving the unworthy. Celebrating Jesus' glory paves the way to endure all of life's anguish. Relational conflicts, disagreements, <laughs> common anguish. Celebrating Jesus' glory paves the way to endure all of life's anguish. You can imagine that Jesus didn't make a ton of friends with the people that were already frustrated with him when he walks into their house and starts up. Disrupting everything that they had kind of set up and established. So, the, the, from the, this point on, the the scribes and the Pharisees are are really frustrated with him. He and he was there daily, like every day of this week, he's in the temple, he's teaching, he's he's proclaiming. Like he cleaned up, and now he's there and he's teaching and he's proclaiming the word of God. And and the scribes and the Pharisees are really mad. <laughs> They're frustrated and they want to kill him, but they know that he's popular. So they kind of they keep their cars close to their chest. And we know that they wouldn't have been able to make a move if it wasn't for Judas. Um, but they come to him and they're like, hey, by what authority do you do this? Like, you just, you just walk in here like you own the place. By what authority do you do this? And he's like, um, I don't really need to tell you by what authority I do this. And then he tells them a story. Look with me in Luke 20, verse 9. And he, Jesus, began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And the third, and he sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He'll come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus tells him a story about entitlement. <laughs> he says, Hey, there's a guy. The guy had a vineyard. He bought it. It belonged to him. He could do with it what he wanted to. But he hired some people to take care of it. And uh, he left them to it. He entrusted it to them. He gave them the responsibility. He gave them the authority. He said, You guys take care of this vineyard and I'll be back. Um, and he sent a messenger, Hey, um, can you, you send me some of my grapes? Um, And did you notice the escalation in the story? The first servant, they beat him and sent him away empty-handed. The second servant, they also beat and they treated him shamefully. And they sent him away empty-handed. The third one, they wounded. And they cast him out. It's not their farm. Like, they got hired by somebody to take care of something that doesn't belong to them. But they have this entitlement mentality, like, all of this is mine. Everything the light touches is mine. And they say to the owner, no, you can't have what's yours, because it's mine. I can't think, (laughs) I probably wouldn't be able to count the times that I've looked at God with the same attitude in my heart. I can't imagine the betrayal that might cross his face. But I'm reminded that Jesus entrusts himself to the Father through the depths of betrayal. He invites me to do the same. He shows these tenants extreme grace. He sends them not one, not two, not three servants, but then he sends him his son. And they say, look, this guy's the one who's going to inherit the vineyard. Like, if we want to take it for ourselves, now's the time to do it. Let's kill him. And they do. And Jesus just asked the question, what's going to happen next? The time of grace is up. Surely not. God, God wouldn't do that to us. You see, the people who are here in this story understand what Jesus is saying about them. He says, surely not. God wouldn't do that to us. We are the scribes, we are the Old Testament scholars. We know the word of God. We have it memorized. It's written on our hearts. We put it in little boxes and carry it on our heads. We write it on our doorposts. We teach it to our children. We are embedded with the word of God. Surely not. What then is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If you know it all, then why are you throwing the cornerstone in the garbage? And more than that, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So, what about us? Laborers in another's vineyard. I didn't sign a lease on the breath I just took, it's a grace extended to me, to still be breathing. And so, will we gratefully stand on Jesus? Will we we thank God for the privilege of living, the privilege of serving him, the privilege of loving and worshiping and honoring him with our whole lives? Will we gratefully stand on Jesus, or will we be crushed by him? Will we celebrate Jesus' glory in the midst of life's anguish? Because celebrating Jesus' glory paves the way to endure all of life's anguish. Will you pray together with me? God, we thank you for your great love for us that continues to show us grace when we are unworthy. that continues to extend your perfect justice when we are unjust towards you, would you lead us to continue to entrust ourselves to you, entrust our hearts to you, to continue to trust you more and more when we feel betrayed, when we feel hurt, when we have doubts, To have questions is not a sin, Lord, but to rest in them and to make our camp there is unwise. Lord, would you lead us on to take our next step with you? Would you give us grateful hearts for all the good gifts that you've given to us and would you bring us to moments of celebration that we might find endurance in this life. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.